Studies show people who swear a lot are more likely to be trustworthy. So according to the expression, excuse my French, we can deduce that French people are trustworthy. Red, what did you sneak in here? Welcome to Two Thirds Focused. I'm drinking on the job today. And I'm Rasmus. And I'm fucking red. And it doesn't make sense if you're not watching the video. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm also red. Oh, wait, no, second. I'm, I'm Jan. <laughs> and I'm wearing red also. How are you doing? I mean, it's been so long since we recorded oh, last. Yeah. Nearly three days, I think. So long. <laughs> I'm good. Have you done Have you done anything new? Uh, yeah. I, I Maybe? I don't know. I Yeah, I, I put some trims. Uh, baseboard, plinth on my walls. You stuck woody bits to woody bits. Absolutely. In corners. Uh, yeah, not yet, but yeah, it will. That day will come. I wait. I mean, it, it's a corner. It's ninety degree corner to where the wall and floor meets to. Meets woody, no, you're right. Woody Absolutely. bits and wally yeah. bits. Yep. I mean, ideally ninety degrees corners. But uh, anyway. Yeah, but not not in my apartment. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure it's ninety degrees. If there's uh, a reason you never heard about French engineering, I guess. <laughs> wait, 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 <laughs> wait! <laughs> Don't go that far so early in the episode. Uh, no, yeah, just just did that um, today. Um, also, had to correct a few things that the previous owner uh, did. Like the um, place where you put clothes in your room, like the the closet that was uh, unmade by the previous owner, nothing was true, straight or flush. So I had to recut everything to just make it work. Um, but yeah, uh, checked all the electricity, all the heaters, the floorings are the floors are done started putting the baseball trims or plinth uh, whatever you call it um and also throw away all the old floors card box and stuff so the the apartment is almost almost done almost clean i have probably two or three more days of work uh, inside inside of it um, and we'll be able to move in. So I'm pretty happy. Uh, nice. And somehow. Are, are, we, are we talking normal people days or red kind of days? No. Because there's only a couple of days till you leave for Maker Central. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm, will probably not work in the apartment tomorrow. Uh, but a normal okay. day for me is arriving at 8.30 in the morning and leaving around 6 and working all day long with a 20 minute break for lunch. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah it's because, a pretty because, efficient. Because that's healthy. Yeah. yeah, that's that that's that's how I I do it all the time. That that's how I work. I was I was working with my wife today in the apartment and she was like, "Oh, it's not even 30 minutes since we started the break for lunch and you're back at it already." Said, yeah, that's that's how I work. That's that's when I'm done eating, I get back to work because otherwise I get bored so anyway um two three days and it will be done so yeah i will probably not be working in the apartment tomorrow because i have a few stuff to uh, prep for maker central including uh changing some money and it's kind of difficult here because there is only one place in my hometown where you can do that with a nice rate or just like normal rate instead of doing that at the airport and being robbed so I would have to do that tomorrow, pack my stuff. Um, what what you need money for? Food. Yeah, but you have plastic, uh, don't you? I have. Yeah, I have, but my bank takes me more money if I pay with plastic than if I pay in cash. Oh, okay. okay. I, I live in the future. We don't have that problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, Norway is nice. In the, well, we actually have the benefit in Germany that... Um, well, as, as, Especially with the credit card I have, I can go to an ATM and withdraw money without fees. Oh, that's oh. nice. But only, oh. but only outside of Germany. Like within Germany, I pay yeah. like this really? crazy. But they they try to get you to get money from ATMs outside. Uh, oh or, yeah, they're, they're closing ATMs in Norway. Yeah. Why? The ATMs have turned to be not profitable to operate anymore because people don't use cash. Yeah. Why? No, yeah, that's right. If you have uh, ePay. We... The only, the only occasion I have to, to use cash is to 
go outside of France. Otherwise, in France, I always pay with my credit card or my, my debit card. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I will get some money, uh, pack my stuff, hopefully finish my Jenga block, uh, almost done, and I will be ready to leave. So, yeah, I'm going to work in the apartment probably tomorrow. And when I come back from England, yeah, two or three days and, and we'll be ready to move in. So pretty Sounds happy good. about that. Yeah. Finally, it's it's almost uh, the day. What about you? How about you? Yeah. <laughs> what you hear there is the stuff that needs to go into the Jenga block. Um, it's it's going to be with resin, or I, I planned on doing it with resin. Um, I today figured out that the resin I had went bad <laughs> because Dang. I haven't worked with it for so long and probably it froze in the basement. Yep, so I also have to get that tomorrow and I have no clue how I'm going to get three or four layers, poured layers, hardened and sanded <laughs> before make a central. That might be a work in progress, as I told Red earlier. Yeah. Taking it to make a central and say, oh, that's a nice grinder. You mind if I give that a test? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just sand it over there. Plenty of tools to be used. So yeah, you can finish on the spot. Uh, yeah, it, it sucks a little bit. Um, I. I the thing is, I prepared everything, so I just that I only had to make the pours. But um, yeah, oh, oh, of course, oh, I did not take in oh. consideration that I. I have an idea. I have back. an idea. Hmm? Take the mold, all the things you want to put in the resin, the resin, go to make a central, and and do a demonstration of how you can make a Jenga gablock with resin on the first day, and then Basically, get gets done for the second day. Like next pour is gonna be in four hours. Yeah, I could probably just buy some resin there. That would be. Probably. Yeah, but I mean, just an idea. But you, you could, you could just. Yeah, the problem is we're already live now. Everybody knows about it. That it's just an afterthought because I was too lazy getting <laughs> doing it instead of like, oh, I'm gonna do a live demonstration. <laughs> yeah, but this will also come out like just about after Maker Central, so that's so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's actually not a bad idea. That that's yeah. I mean, we could we could push and the release will, a little I, bit I, later, I, like Sunday evening when when everything's over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, to, I'm fairly certain that there's going to be someone selling epoxy there. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. There used to be at the last couple of times anyway. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, I, I also you, this you time can... I want to get some um, molds there because they were selling them those for knife handles and other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm I'm looking for those also. Yeah, me too. That's actually not a bad idea. I might do that. And all of a sudden, I have a lot of free time tomorrow. <laughs> nice redundancy mate redundancy yeah Where's exactly redundancy? yeah okay Ras what, what, what have you been up to oh thanks for asking I, I had I done one of those weird things that only makes sense when you run a business is that when you make get an order for two you make at least ten yep so I had an order for two knives and I made I, I, technically I made nine but one of them was very much not bueno uh, I cocked something up with it and I had big voids in it and it happened to two other knives as well that had ended up with bubbles in, in it. Do you know why? Oh, was it like the delamination or the, the from the welds? Yeah, but but because I was angle iron I managed to forge weld the edge, but not along the spine, but because there is uh, huh. the folded angle iron there uh -huh. it doesn't show, it doesn't it, it doesn't really solve a structural problem yeah except that when you heat it up it expands and you get this bubble of yeah. iron that just pokes out okay so i grinded that flush and had a cavity underneath which is not really good now i also have a lot of knives ready or almost i i'm gonna do final sharpening on them tomorrow just before leaving and package things up mm -hmm. uh last little order before make a central but uh, it's uh also on like just after we recorded on Sunday, I had two friends of mine show up uh, in the forge that wanted to learn how to make a rose. Nice. So uh, I, I now know that I can teach someone how to make a rose that I've never touched a hammer before in about two hours. That's cool. Nice. That's good to know. Yeah. But I, I, I've also ended up with one of these moments where uh, it's, it's an American thing, but it's the whole journeyman bladesmith that they have over in the US. 
and uh, both Will Stelter and uh, Matt Stagmer of Will Stelter's, Will Stelter's YouTube channel and That Works, yeah. respectively, uh, have been showing a lot of the process of how you go about getting your journeymanship over there and testing for it. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that they, they need to aggressively test their knives until they fail so that they actually know how much it can take, how much abuse it can take before it actually breaks. And that got me thinking, and of course I realized this after I'd done all of my hardening, is that I've never done one of those really big destructive tests to see what actually is the failing point. Yeah. And to be fair, like I do pretty much all of my hardening by eye. The traditional way. Yeah, and yeah. I use steel I know fairly well, and I know the telltale signs of things going good or going badly. So I'm, I'm not actually terribly worried about it. And of course, I am hoping to be able to buy a proper heat treating oven soon, but because I have that wild Singapore money now. <laughs> uh, but but it's it's one of the points where I realized that no, I should actually spend a day and just destructively test my knives, to just to, just so I know the limits of it but also like what happens how does the different hardnesses actually affect the seal and actually just test it and feel it because like well I'm, I, I'm doing it by eye I can get fairly accurate but I'm not 100% there yeah you said you should I would I would uh, say you could uh, in the sense that blacksmiths and bladesmiths have worked by high for hundreds of years it's it's fairly new in the craft that people have a thermometer to tell them exactly what's the the, the temperature mm. of the steel or inside the uh, the the treating the the oven that you are using to to treat the blade. Um, it was all done by by iron by color. Oh yeah, for yeah, yeah, for a long times, and and this, this is the story that I love. I I have a, 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 a French friend who's blacksmith, and he's doing demonstration uh, every summer in a specific place in France, and um, it's open to the public, so people can come and watch. And there is almost always the smart guy. Uh, what's the temperature of steel right now? And it, his answer is always, I don't care. It's cherry red. Yeah, that's all I need to know. Yeah, if I wanted to to quench my blade, that's the perfect temperature for me. Oh yeah, but you should know that it's about nine hundred degrees. Sure, you, he knows that. We all know that because we all have the charts in mind or in the wall of. I have one in the, the wall of my forge, but it doesn't really matter because when you are uh, not at all. Yeah, because you you work by eye and by color, so that that's okay. Not knowing what's the exact temperature. Yeah, and, and like what you can use the different temperatures for change depending on the steel you're forging. Absolutely. I mean, if you're working like uh, very roughly refined wrought iron, the, the really old stuff, you need to work it at a really high heat. But if it has been refined a lot more, then you can work it at a lot lower heat without splintering up. Mm. If you work with high carbon steel, the, the, the range is also a lot narrower, but in sort of in the middle range because... It, too cold it easily cracks too hot and you'll burn it and it will just crumble yeah. but so it's not it's not even a fixed answer if you knew exactly the temperature of the steel because you need to adjust for the specific steel you're working with absolutely but Plus, my, my point my point was more enough leaning towards the whole thing of how how often do you need to actually destructively test things and like you say i don't actually need to because mm -hmm. i can just do the normal thing and I can just test it normally and see that seems to work and be happy but I'm talking about like sort of knowing the limits of what I'm doing yeah. and also when it comes to hardening getting an oven in and getting those like getting from 90% um, utility out of the steel to going to like 95, 98 yeah, maybe 100% sure. utility out of it you were like getting every last bit of performance I can you were talking about all those different tests. Um, what kind of tests are there? Is there like a norm, like a certain amount? I would I would think now something, because I'm thinking from my apprenticeship, from when I had mechanical engineering, probably something like Brinell, like the destructive one where you take the steel bolt and embed it to like check the hardness, or you can work with the files to determine. 
Yeah. Um, it, but like destructive tests. Yeah, I, I'll probably get this wrong, but from because I haven't bothered to look into it because mm-hmm. it's America. I don't care. <laughs> um, but as far as I remember, you have to bend. Have one knife that you can bend to ninety degrees without it breaking, but you can have some cracking in the edge, but no more than like thirty percent of the width can be cracked of the blade. That's and you soft, need, then. and you need. Uh, I mean, you, you you're submitting something like five knives in total, I mm-hmm. think. And you need one that, and you need one for like for the bend test and one for performance and three show pieces, I think. But the for- performance test is you need to be able to hang, uh, the cut a free hanging rope in half, mm-hmm. more or less cleanly, and then chop through a two by four, and then cut through the rope again. Or, and then maybe cut into cut a two by four or something again. That it's, doesn't sound really excited. That doesn't really sound scientific. I mean, of course, it's not. I mean, it's 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 all by by eye anyway because like they're also just looking at your fit and finish and saying like, oh yeah, this looks like good quality, nice fitting, tight gaps or no gaps, I guess. Or you just take a look at it yourself and say like, yep, that knife looks good. And you just sell it and make money out of it instead of (laughs) (laughs) destroying it. Yeah, but uh, I guess their uh, reasoning for all that is that they can charge more for the knives when they have the credibility and the certificate saying someone is saying I'm a good knife maker and I have a diploma for it. But I mean, it, it only holds value if you care about those things. And by all means, it's it it shows that you know your stuff when it comes to heat treatment and all of that. So, yeah, yeah if you check the prices of the knives made by the the guys that uh, won uh, Forge in Fire, uh, yeah, it, it's not the same amount of money that that um, someone else would charge probably. Um, but I but I, I understand because the the test. I mean, the show is the show, so there is, there is all the. TV drama aspect of it, which is kind of um, discutable uh, yeah. somehow, but the the guy who won the show are good bladesmiths, I believe, because you can't improvise making a good blade in f- such a. Um, in f- I I believe it's three hours for the blade and three hours for for the uh, f- to finish the blade or something like That's that. That's actually plenty of time. Yeah, it's it's a good amount of time where if you know what you are doing. I mean, I would yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to pick a knife in three hours probably going from scratch. Like, oh no, you could. It would just be a lot uglier than someone who made ten thousand knives. Yeah, no, sh- yeah. But thanks for your vote of confidence. I don't, I don't know. I I'm, I mean, I've the, never the, tried. The, 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 I mean, the show is all about making drama. That's why they put they just take anyone who say they think consider themselves a knife maker and put them out in front of people uh, and I don't really want to go down this road I had another point that I want okay. to get back to but like I, I make if you want to make a living making knives you need to be efficient about it yeah sure mm-hmm. having a knife that is all fit and finished in three hours should be a no-brainer mm-hmm. granted you can spend a ridiculous amount of time making all kinds of fancy Damascus shit mm-hmm. and getting all of that right and you People who do Damascus, they will easily spend one day forging Damascus bar yeah. and then a day forging the knife afterwards and then a day finishing the knife. Yeah. Or even longer than that. But, but that, that that's not the point I wanted to make here. My point was more, if every single time you test something you made and you're happy with just seeing it succeed in the same test every single time, mm-hmm. how do you actually know the limits of what you're able to do like do you ever go out and try to break something to know how much it can take uh really i mean yeah i think and i I think maybe that's my point because i realized i've never really done it myself well when, when, when i do sometimes when i did uh like arc welding uh-huh i would hit it with a hammer like but when I was learning, just to see, okay, is this a strong weld? And I would hit it with a hammer a couple of times and see how much it would crack or bend or where it would break away and all of that. Yeah. But that that's it. That's my experience with it. That's funny because the only thing I can think about is basically where we would get 
um, sticks out of the forest as children and then we would bend them till they break just to see yeah. when they break. Yeah. But yeah. that's like my last memory of, well, not, not true with our products that I sell, the measuring products. I tested the limits of those, not by bending them, but basically how fast can I activate them till actually the arrow occurs on the, on the PC. Mm-hmm. Or in a different mm-hmm. uh, example, um, when you get your new graphic cards and you do the overclocking thing, how fast can yeah. I go? How much can I basically tune the whole thing before it gets unstable? But those yeah. are the only things I can think about it. Like I don't think I've ever done it for one of my projects. I, I, I've come to think of now that Mark, Mark Wandel, is that his name? Uh, woodworking YouTube fella. Michael Wandel. Or no, mm, no Canadian fella. But anyway, okay. he's been and um, James Wright of Woodby Wright. They've both been doing a few these wood glue tests mm-hmm. and join with tests to actually see what's the strength of this. Because Matthias like, Vandel, yeah, Matthias. Yes, Vandel. that's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthias Vandel. Uh, he, he like, and I really appreciate that because it's sort of they're both very very systematic, very scientific about it. They're very open about the data set and saying so. Here's the data. Here's the conclusion I draw from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm please double check all of that. But they're like testing things till they break to see what the actual limit is. Yeah. Ironically, like super glue proved to be way stronger than wood glue. Okay. Which I guess makes a lot of sense, but of course super glue is a lot more expensive and you don't necessarily need that extra strength. Yeah. yeah. But I think also it's this habit we have to that, that we tend to only look for things that confirm our belief and not for things that falsify them. I think you're right. I remember um, testing all of my projects, uh, but in a kind of a smart way, uh, meaning after the shooting is done <laughs> and uh, yeah. the beauty shoot shots are, are old, uh, all uh, recorded. I was like, mm, I, re- I I wonder if that knife would uh, keep its edge if I hit a two by four with it, and so I did, and and it worked. So the no. A chip on the edges so i was like oh, okay i did i did it right so it comforted me in my technique or my knowledge um for that specific project i also remember uh, assembling furniture or building tables and just jumping on it to just check if it wouldn't crumble yeah um because yeah it's a way f- it was a way for me to just check that i did it right but I didn't take the time, um, as you said earlier, to spend a day in the forge um, making blades in order to break them just to see what's the limit of the technique that I am applying. And by doing um, slight changing changes in the technique, in the temperature, in the way I quench them, in the way I temper them, uh, to see how it breaks or how is the grain inside the blade, if it changes, if it's good, if it's bad, and all of that. I did, didn't take the time yet. I, I always plan on planned on doing it. But again, I'm not selling knives as a living for a living uh, yeah. right now. I'm not. I'm not making blades all day long. Uh, but but I would probably do so if I was aiming to be a professional bladesmith. Do you do something like that for your um, leather work? Oh, I do. Uh, when I, I I always check my stitches. Well, I did for a long time. Uh, like trying to tear it apart? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, and if mm-hmm. it's holding, it means that the technique is good, so I can keep that technique for, for other projects, and I'm sure yeah. that it will hold because... Yeah, that's the same technique, same thread, same leather, same everything. So there is no reason that it fails at some point because it's all the same things applied to the same to, to a different project. So yeah, but oh. yeah, I'm doing it. Absolutely. I just remembered something. Yeah. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. But Jan saying like bending sticks until they break. Mm-hmm. I suddenly remembered doing that with my brother. Except like we were out in the forest, I think it was in Luon on like vacation or something. And there's a really, really old forest just behind the old, the old family farm. Uh, but lots of dead branches laying about. And me and my brother, of course, being madmen, both of us, we would often be fighting with, with these sticks. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while we wonder like, how much does it take to break this stick? And I remember now suddenly like smacking it as hard as I could against a tree 
having it not properly break off, but like bending and then breaking. Mm -hmm. So it wrapped around and went back and hit my brother <laughs> in the face standing next to me. Nice. <laughs> he was not happy. Oh, yeah. I was shitting myself laughing. <laughs> uh, Sorry, yeah. I, I just I just remember that. No, that's a good one. Yeah. The only time I can remember doing like a really stress test for with the goal of destroying something was uh, in the beginning when I started 3D printing. Mm -hmm. with filament because there were some parts that I wanted to use in the workshop for like holders and I wanted to know how much weight I could put on them. Yeah. I think that yeah. was the last time I practically tested it because I already had the file and all it took was the time printing it. But with my projects, they're usually a one-off and they're not meant to be. Like when I couple bladed my Game Boy, I'm not going to take that thing and throw it against the wall to see if the metal gives it more strength because that's not the point of yeah, well, um, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. but then again, you may, maybe you could have gone on and like vigorously rub it with your hand for a few minutes to see if you can actually wear it off in a reasonable amount of time. Oh, I, I polished it up with a polishing wheel. If that would have not hold up, then, oh, yeah, yeah. then, then it would have been gone. Yeah. Oh yeah, by all means. <laughs> but then, I didn't. Then... I didn't necessarily do it as a test. I just wanted to polish it. So yeah, yeah. that would have been something to. Yeah, that I would have found out the hard way, let's put it that way. But um, other than that, yeah, I usually don't do an extreme test of stuff like that. That's not what it's I guess for. it depends on the project. I mean, you, you were talking yeah. earlier about, about doing a weld and hitting it with a hammer. Um, last time I was, I was welding something, uh, I was actually kind of showing uh, to a friend how it's done because it was, it was his first time with a MIG welder. Not that I'm mm. a professional welder or anything, but I, I own uh, a MIG welder and I, I've been welding for two or three years with it and it always worked. So I wanted to show him uh, how to use it and, and, and the benefit of it. So we uh, tried a couple of different uh, welds and the ultimate test, ultimate test for me was to throw it on the ground and to see if it if it holds or not. Um, yeah, that's a good basic one. And and that's yeah, that's that's what I do with basically all my my welds um, when I'm when I'm building something. If you can slam it, with, slam a hammer on it, or uh, throw it on the ground, or just jump on it and it holds, it's more than enough for what I'm doing. I'm not building planes or or buildings or I'm just doing small projects that don't need to sustain a lot of weight or abuse. So that's good for me. Again, I'm not selling that kind of stuff. The things that I'm selling is, is are mainly um, leather goods. And that I'm sure of because I know the quality of the leather and the technique that I am playing and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, I think it's it really depends on the project that you are you are making. And as Jan said, um, the first time I printed something with my filament 3D printer, and after that, the first um, the first time that I used my resin printer to make something, I tried to break it just to see how much stress or force it can sustain before breaking. And so it's it for me. It's just a, a reference base to know what kind of stuff I can make before I have to switch to another material or another technique in order mm -hmm. to do what I'm doing or make what I uh, want to make. Um, it, it's good to know the the material resistance in order to adapt your project, the material to your project, if that makes sense. If I'm 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 making uh, I don't know a hook for example to 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 um, hold uh, a lot of weight I'm not gonna 3D print it I'm probably gonna use it uh, make it out of metal because I know it will it it will uh, hold the weight of the thing that I want to put on it um, yeah I I think it's always good to know to have a, a, a reference point base uh -huh. of the material that you are using. Same thing with resin. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sh absolutely sure what I'm doing when I'm using resin because I have never made a block of resin and throw it on the ground just to see how it breaks or when it breaks or what's the height at which point it will break when it's falling. Uh, 
hence my doubt in my Jenga block <laughs> because <laughs> I'm absolutely not sure it won't break the first time it hit it, it the ground. Um, but if it fails, at least that makes it fail spectacularly. Yeah, oh, yeah, it will be so nice. To, <laughs> because it will be a huge the, mess. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a huge mess, but it's going to be fun. Um, now, now I'm suddenly wondering if Jamie or something made a Jenga block with a timer in it and a glitter bomb. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> that would be so cool. I know some people have done some weird, wicked things to their Jenga apparently, blocks. Apparently, yeah. But anyway, I actually, I actually had uh, sort of just like... It's not going to be a, a game of Jenga. It's going to be a death trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 if you're up for it, I have a small game for you. Yeah. Sort of just to move the conversation slightly further. Okay. Always. Uh, I'll give you three numbers. Yeah. And you'll try to figure out the rule that these three numbers follow. Okay. But the only way of doing that is you give me three numbers back. I'd say yes or no if they follow the rule. Okay. Can we you have to figure take out notes? Like write yeah, yeah. down the numbers? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm up for it. Go ahead. So I start by three numbers. One, seven, thirteen. And by all means, I mean, anyone at, at listening at home or something who wants to play along, please try to do that as well. Okay, let me let me take a working pen so I can actually write that 1, 7, and 13, right? Yes. So, of course, if... Can I give you my three numbers? Yeah, give me, give, give me your first guess. 19? Mm-hmm. 25? 31? Okay. 25? No. No, no. So it's a, it's a set of numbers that follow a rule, not every single number. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, I know, I know. But um, so basically, I could go uh, 43, 47, 53. Yep, that follows. Okay. And then what's the rule? Do you know yet? Prime. Prime numbers. No. A gap of six? No. No, okay. So the, the so, so so if if I, if I stop you there, okay. So far, you tested one thing, but you made up a theory. Uh huh. You came. You made gave me some numbers that follow that theory. Yeah. And uh-huh. then you made a guess. Yeah, absolutely. But you never falsified your theory. You never tested what breaks it. No, because it, no, know, because there's no break. They're either prime numbers or they're not. They aren't. <clears throat> in order three, to break of, it, three of the numbers you gave us were prime numbers. That's why, of course, I concluded, okay, you must mean yeah, prime yeah, yeah. numbers. But that doesn't mean that's the rule. That could be a coincidence. Like, uh, You're right. Yes, if, if my rule was prime numbers, mm-hmm. then red would be wrong, but its numbers would follow the rule. But yeah. in order, my point is that in order to, to be able to uh, uh, check if the rule or my theory is correct, I would have to give you a series of three other numbers following a different rule in order to check if they are still following the rule that you know and that we don't and we are trying to figure out. Yeah. Right? Yes, you got it. So we have to be wrong at some point or to change the idea that we have in order to check if the theory is right. Yeah. And that's your point. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. But I would still like to see if you can actually reach it because it, it's fun for me to see you suffer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 it's not suffering because that's. Um, I mean, it can be frustrating in life, and especially when you are making stuff. But that's something I quite used to do uh, because of my. Uh, background in in um, research in, and working as teacher in, in uni, you the, the the rule that when you are uh, working on a um, PhD thesis is you have a theory. You don't want to verify your theory. That's not that's not your job. You don't want to verify it. You want to explore it. So. Yeah. At the end of your thesis, you are not proposing. You are, you are not offering a question at the very beginning. Like, um, it's true that something happened. No, let's verify if something happened. 
and then you explore all the, the facts and you check if you are actually right or wrong about the, the idea that you had at the very beginning when you started your research. And if you were wrong, then you can conclude something different. So the, what's important is not to verify your theory, is what you will find out by trying to verify your theory. It's not about being right, it's about learning. Exactly. And it doesn't really matter if you are at the end, after many years of, of research, if you are right or wrong, what, what's interesting for the people that will give you your, your PhD is that you have done the research, that you have found out something, that you have learned something and you brought something new to the conversation. That's, that's how I've been trained. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised that my uh, apparent logic is fine and I can find the three following numbers, but I, even if my, my rule is wrong, because there's, there's no reason that I can find the rule just instinctively. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it would be sort of like, okay, explaining magnetism mm -hmm. and thinking that it's a special kind of gravity mm -hmm. that only works on iron. I mean, yeah, things of iron stick to magnets. So something going on there, but it's not gravity. But your theory holds water as long as you're not testing to break it so to speak you can exactly. use that as long, as, long say, as you don't heat it up the iron yeah well yeah and you can say that oh what well, but the earth is mostly iron if you know that then it makes sense that we stick to it because we contain a bit of iron so i mean you're good there so the earth is just the gi ginormous magnet and we are all sticking to it because of magnetism that's what you're I mean, saying? you could explain it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Could, at like, some I mean, point in history, that way. I mean, yeah, yeah. At some point in history, they probably have had crazier theory theory than that. Probably. Do you want to go for another set of numbers, or should we just move on from? No, that? no, no. I'm good for it. Yeah. I have fun doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 I yeah, hate numbers. No, I was thinking about different examples about it, and it's actually funny because I had a, um, just throw that in. Uh, I had a teacher that was way back, like when I first went to school, and the whole class was going about, well, he challenged the class with um, basically claiming the earth was flat. He wasn't a flat earther, he wasn't actually believing it, but he wanted to know from us, and we said, it's like, no, because it is curved. And he's like, well, why would you think that? And we would go about, because there was like third grade or something, or because yeah. we see, we've seen it on pictures, but he says like, yeah, but you always only see a flat image. So he yeah. was just <laughs> trying to constantly challenge us to like find new ways. And, uh, and then in the end, I think in the next year, he also taught us about like the curvature and the horizon and how everything works. But it, it was funny going back because we were infuriated, uh, infuriated? One of those words. Yeah, yes. English hard tonight. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it, it, it was really like we, we were pissed because we knew, because we were told before that, that mm -hmm. the earth is round, but we didn't know the correct answers to it to actually like prove it. So yeah. it, it was driving us nuts. That's <laughs> extremely yeah. frustrating when you are not able to express an idea as, uh, uh, or, or to explain why you're right. Is that because you are lacking the arguments? Is that because you are lacking the, the, the vocabulary? Yeah. I mean, first time you go in a foreign country and you, you know uh, a few words, but you want to explain something very precise because the guy in front of you doesn't understand what you are saying and you're in a, a situation of emergency and, 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 you want to express feeling and something that's very important to you and you lack the words, damn, it's it's really frustrating. So Oh, yeah. 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 But, I mean, pantomime can only get you so far when you're looking for a condom. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that, that coming, coming from? <laughs> no uh. comment. <laughs> okay, good one. I'll uh, keep no, that. It, 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 we had um, a scavenger hunt at a scout jamboree. 
and because we were all silly teenagers making the whole thing, we put up a couple of like that. Like nice. you need to ask for a condom using pantomime. Wow, that's very nice. much hilarious. Yeah, yeah, a bit. That took a wrong turn so quickly. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I can't be all serious. No, 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 no you're right. I remember uh, uh, one of my teacher yeah, doing app, almost the same thing. It was um, and, and asking for condoms by pantomime. No, just uh, being oh, the, the other part of the conversation. Yeah, okay, sorry, the other okay. one, <laughs> being the devil's advocate, so to speak, like yeah. preaching the wrong just to uh, let the the student explain or find a way to explain the right or their feeling or their ideas and i did that with a couple of my students which was quite super interesting to do because you know that they are right but you don't want to admit that they are right so you are playing the game of i'm the teacher i know i'm right so prove me wrong and uh it's amazing to see young people who are not used to express an idea or express, um, like logically, put arguments together in, exp in order to demonstrate something, uh, because they are they are often told to just listen, uh, digest, and uh, give back an idea, a fact, a date, a name, and just learn. Shut up and learn. That's that's basically yeah, how it's done. That's what makes it so difficult. Is is the point yeah. that like at that point I was probably maybe eight eight nine years old, and well, we were basically our belief at that point was the the Earth is round or is a, is a ball because mm -hmm. we were told to because no one of us is just one of those facts. You see the pictures, mm -hmm. you hear the people talking about it, and you mm -hmm. just say put it down as. That's the truth, and that's how it. We never really thought about like what, yeah. like why. It's just that's, something that, as that's a given. That's the problem. That's the problem. We we um, we had a long conversation with a friend about that in Japan because the Japanese teacher are not that. That's the way it works over there. Um, they, oh yeah, they, I know. They say the the, the the student. That's a fact. Remember it. That's it. Okay. There's no question. question you, exactly. Yeah, you don't question it. You don't have to think about it. It just you learned that as a fact. The good thing that we have in France in the education system is that we go through philosophy, uh, and for a few years you have to question everything, question your feeling, question the idea, question how it, uh, where they come from. Uh, so you basically learn how to think, and. So that's probably why we are on strike uh, that often. I just want to say, is that, is, is that <laughs> the time where, is that the time crazy, where something went wrong? Is that the time the where everyone gets a yellow jacket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but that's that, that's also very interesting because we are, we learn how to demonstrate an idea and to express an idea that we can we we, for example, yeah, ex explain to me why the earth is round I, I believe we had um, we have the capacity uh, when we are uh, after we get graduated high school to logically uh, express uh, uh, a train of thought of thoughts, damn my pronunciation tonight um, from from A to Z in order to uh, bring the listener uh, with us in our uh, way of thinking and to to uh, arrive at a conclusion that will demonstrate an idea um, and and yeah I don't I don't know why I was I was talking about that at, in the first place <laughs> no but um, it's actually at least the way I see it it's important to not know what is true, but to know why you think something is true. Yeah. Like, um, it's it's one of those things that it's easy to look down upon in the traditional school system is that it's all about memorization and, memori memorization mm. and not about understanding. 
Yeah. I mean, n- remembering all the specific dates for when things happened in history, mm-hmm. that's what I test you on more often than not because it's easy. Yeah. But do, uh, asking people why did this happen and what happened because of it afterwards in history. Yeah. Like the French Revolution, like where, when did it start? When did the disappointment start with that? Mm. The first ever uh, stock market crash. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of those. But that was, what, like 60, 70 years before or something? I mean, everything affected something else, but just knowing, mm. oh, the French didn't have bread. Some girl told them to eat cake. They got angry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was about to say, let them eat cake. Because, yeah. yeah. Which, which apparently never even happened. Apparently. Uh, yeah. yeah I, um, I think. Um, I don't remember the name of the author. It it was from an, uh, a novel written about that period yeah. where the author invented some nobility that said uh, if they are if you don't have any bread, why don't they eat cake? And that was later mis, um, misattached to... Uh, was it Marie Antoinette? Antoinette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was like a medieval Trump tweet. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it just took forever <laughs> to reach people because the internet was really slow back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah bad Wi-Fi and everything. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I find it very interesting, Raz, your point about um, knowing and understanding, rather, uh, understanding rather than knowing. And um, I think it, it, it can very much be applied to making as well. Um, when it comes to knowing the materials, knowing how they move, how they react, how um, they will be impacted by what you are doing to them or where you are storing them. Like if you are storing resin in a cold shop for uh, all winter, and then it's <laughs> expected to work Fuck you, to, to do this before <laughs> make a central. <laughs> <laughs> 70 euros of resin down the train uh, no but but obviously for steel it's very important when you are making knives because well knives they are not supposed to break and they can be very dangerous if they do um, not only for yourself but for also for other people's people uh, like I was in a demonstration of, of um, kendo and, and you are not supposed to uh, demonstrate the kata of kendo with real swords but mm-hmm. as it was a gala a special night uh, we were demonstrating with swords and of course one guy didn't check his katana before doing the the demonstration so the one part the small mikugi the small uh, piece of bamboo that holds oh, yeah. the blade inside the the, the, the that one that one little thing that actually yeah. locks it all together. Absolutely, it's it's like oh. uh, it's a diameter of probably two or three millimeters for length of probably two centimeters, and when it oh, breaks, so the, the blade so like flies blade. away. Yeah, yeah, it flies away, and it could have killed someone. So not knowing. The tool that you are using and not not being able to check it can cause damage and hurt people, uh, but it can also more simply just make your project fail. Uh, and it happened to me uh, a few years back. I I put uh, I um, was trying to shape uh, some leather by uh, wetting it and then wrapping it in, um, how do you call that? The plastic uh, wrap? Uh, yeah, cellophane tape. Cellophane, yeah. yeah. That Pink one. Foil. That's a brand mm-hmm. name. But yeah. yeah. Uh, and I let it to rest too long, so it rot. And when you have uh, mold in your leather, it's done. It's gone. You, you, you can't. You, it, you just have to start over because the leather is just it's just gone uh, so it's a way to learn obviously and to get better at what you are doing not just taking what you've been told or, or taught as a fact but do the tests and and not only the breaking point of your blade for example but yeah pushing let, let letting some wood outside just to see how it re- reacts to the uv or to the rain with paint, without paint, with varnish, without varnish, and yeah. with different temperature and everything, um, mm-hmm. 
it's all, but it's it's super hard to do because when you are in in, in the zone, when you are uh, motivated by a project, it's very rare that you take a day to waste your time, material, a project, an idea, especially when it it's you succeed on the first try, just to break it or to make it or let it rot in the rain, uh, just for the sake of it, just to learn something. I don't think it's getting it's being lazy. But it's, it's no, no, probably just being too excited by the project that you are making to m let it go to waste. If but I would argue if you are selling a product and you want to give the best possible customer service. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You should know about all the different ways that product can break. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's, I mean, that's easy if it's something mechanical or more technical, electronical or something and saying like, oh, like... If it if whatever you have sold have behaves in this way or makes this sound, I know what causes it because I have tested that. I can tell them specifically. You need to fix that bit. Do you have that kind of experience, Jan? When you are uh, going to your customer and uh... oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I it's now when when some customers write me and they describe, especially with the gauges, it's like oh, one of our gauges is broken. There is three major things that can basically happen. Usually, they um, run a crash inside the machine and they bend the piston mm -hmm. um, because it is a measuring device. It is not for heavy industrial use in the sense of uh, to use it to use it as a step ladder or something like that. Because we have that, we have some of the gauges are really uh, pretty thick diameter and they're like 200 millimeters long with a strong spring. So they're really durable when it comes to measuring um, equipment that is heavy or um, like from the um, spring force that they have and everything. So they're fine for industrial applications. Mm -hmm. But if, so, if they're inside a machine and um, the guy does maintenance and he uses them as a step to basically step on them oh. with a side bearing go up there, they break. <laughs> so yeah, it's, because it, they're not designed to take load in that direction. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And, and that's also everything is because it's Japanese. It's all stated in a manual, like how much force you can from which angle till it actually breaks because electronically they almost never fail there's really barely like i have not heard of anyone like failing at the customer because they're magnetic uh, mag um how to say that um they use Grounded, you mean no no a magnetic incremental so they have basically they have a reading head like a hard drive has Mm -hmm. And oh. they read and they have a magnet with a uh, plus minus, like sinus cosinus yeah. wave on it. And that one, and the, the reading head reads that. So one of the reasons oh. or one of the ways you can kill one of our gauges or um, the linear encoders is actually putting a strong magnet on the rail because that erases uh, that. Wait, so, sorry, sorry. Can you explain which part of what kind of machine this is? Because I'm only grasping half of this, I think. Oh, okay. So uh, we doing DROs, which is basically for um, milling machines. Like the, those are the old legacy products. Um, digital readout, something, yeah, something? Yeah, exactly. Normal okay. digital readout. Basically XYZ axis with a normal readout. Um, then we have the gauges, which are basically like a, how do you call it, those... You have manual gauges and digital gauges. Um, so oh, you're you thinking of the radial ones? Yes, exactly. The radial ones are the mechanical okay. ones, and we have them. And ours are electronical, and the resolution yeah. is usually a bit higher than the ones when we're talking about up to ten nanometers. That should be enough for most things, I think. Yeah, that's that's a little bit overkill. <laughs> that's a little bit overkill for most things. Uh, the most we sell actually are zero point one microns and zero point five microns. Man. Wow! Yeah, yeah. And that's resolution and one micron accuracy. So they're okay, pretty so, so damn accurate. This is the slidey bit that actually knows where the machine is. On nope, that's the gauges. That's like the mechanical watching my thingy when you measure the straightness of a rail and like oh. you go it along or something like that, or you just want to measure the thickness of some material on a gauge block. Uh, the ones that are actually tell the machines where the the milling machine is positioned with drives like a five axis, a modern five axis. Those uh, have resolutions up to five nanometers. 
Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Or up That's... to three, I believe now with the newer generations. Just okay. Just side, side, small sidebar. Mm -hmm. How high end or how advanced is this technology now? Like, I'm thinking on the scale of what's the next big step in accurate measuring things. For like, um, or is this at the beginning of a new generation or is it the end of a new generation how old is this generation? no 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 they they started doing well for drives not that long but like dro's are from like the 60s 70s that those are the ones with five micron resolution the new ones are the drive encoders um that that measure the drives they're I, I don't know how long they've been around maybe for the last 15 to 20 years oh okay so it's so it's getting all that technology as well yeah, I mean the techno and the technology is gonna stay the same because industrial standards don't change that often. They're working yeah, with protocols, right. so you got like Fanuc, Mitsubishi, Siemens, uh, DriveGlee. There's gonna be newer iterations of it, but it's gonna stay the same. Um, and the magnetic incremental, there's basically two two kinds: optical ones. They Using work a with a, um, more like a light source, and that one oh, okay. gets reflected on a um, bright and dark. Like basically what we have with the sinus cosinus with a plus and minus charge, they have with um, a light and dark. Oh. And then it's, it just gets interpolated, um, the, the signal. So there's yeah, the yeah. optical one and there's the magnetic one. Those are basically the two, two main ones. I mean, I'm pretending that I understand everything. There's uh, also there's also I think I only get the vaguest idea of there, how there's it also systems works. with there's also systems with laser, but you won't find them in like a milling machine. There are from yeah. wafer technology because we don't do we we do those too. <laughs> but then right. we're okay, talking okay. but then we're talking about picometers. Oh fuck! Yeah. That's where you start um, measuring um, atoms, basically. So holy yeah. shit, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but the technology's been around since the sixties. It's still That's, amazing. We're, we're talking Sony, um, the compact disc and Blu-ray technology, and that just on steroids, taken to another level. Ooh, right, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I the, didn't fully... Yeah, because you have actually like bumps and grooves in the CDs. That's the ones and zeros, isn't it? Yeah, and you shoot two lasers over prisms that get reflected. Well, I mean, in the industrial... Like yeah, yeah. rough, roughly explained, like really roughly explained, but at the same, the, the gauges that um, what I told you about, the uh, magnetic incremental ones, that's the old cassettes or the um, audio, just the Sony, oh. like the, the audio tapes, the old ones. Yeah, that's that technology just for industrial purposes. That's cool. I think so. You cool. could basically save music on those lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with YouTube, somebody has to have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so because the machines are like the machines to put the coatings on those um, magnetic strips are also manufactured by our company. Like that, the whole technology is in house for that. But th then, then you can do that. Yep. No. And you have a YouTube channel. And you have <laughs> to travel. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so filming, like going in there, like over in Izihara on Iga and start filming their equipment with like, yeah, now I'm going to do it. Yeah, they're going to kill me. <laughs> it's like, well, I kept secrets for the last like 20 years or 30 years. Call it yeah. industrial spy, uh, espionage. Nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. What's, should we, should we round off there? I yeah, think? I think we should. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we drifted pretty far off. Yeah, <laughs> more than a few microns. But I have one. My, I have one. You have one. Oh, yeah, no, red. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Fight, fight, I'll, fight. No, no, we won't fight. <laughs> uh, mine is actually uh, a refocus. Um, it's the bearded wizard again, Jamie from the custom it, K. He doesn't deserve it. Not yes, again. he does. No, he does. He does. He totally does because he's the one prepping all the stuff that uh, we will be doing at Make With Makers at Maker Central um, this weekend. Uh, he took in upon himself uh, because I was super busy with the apartment uh, remodel uh, to gather all the tools, all the equipment, uh, prep the leather and and do everything, uh, yeah, but, but paperwork and stuff. That's just a small part of it. 
Al is the real champion there. I was, I was coming to it. I was, I was I'm going. I'm just trying to tear down Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> no, you have to build up on that. Um, so no, Jamie... you tear it down first, get a good foundation, <laughs> then you build people up again. Okay. I'm still in the tearing down phase because he... there's a lot to tear down with. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so my point is that. Jimmy deserves uh, to be uh, our focus of the week because of, uh, personally, uh, mine, because of everything that he has done to prep the um, laser bracelet uh, booth that we will um, be working um, in together this weekend. But the one actually uh, doing all the prep work for Make With Makers is, again, um, Al from Al's Akshak. So big thank you to him for uh, doing this, uh, being in touch with uh, every single one of us uh, involved in the Make With Makers and the Maker Jenga and everything and, and being the um, big boss of everything going right. Uh, and Hopefully. And, yeah, hopefully. But it, 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 it yeah, he did a great job of well for us and oh yeah and, uh, uh, he's yeah, the only so. person i've ever seen being able to hurt cats to what to hurt to hurt cats shepherd cats no okay moving on well, that's <laughs> that's ring a bell <laughs> so my focus is gonna be uh ed brett uh he's an english guy who used a unicycle to just Go around the Ooh. world, yeah. I've and since I'm a lot into biking lately, and I'm doing a lot of um, like I'm riding the bike a lot, I for somehow I just, isn't it? just yeah yeah. Well, he's a kid, like he's in his twenties when he did that, so no, he's no, back no. now. When, but oh, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish because I've, I've followed him in a while. He's amazing. Oh okay, no, because I'm watching him now, and he's doing um, a bike tour with his girlfriend on a tandem through mm -hmm. England. And that one is also really entertaining. Oh, it's just really well made. The guy is definitely a character. Absolutely. And um, I actually found him because the first video was, um, because I also like, kind of love the whole camping thing, uh, top 10 wild camping locations around the world. And I'm just like, first I was pissed because it's like, oh, not another one of those clickbaity videos. But um, I think I've already seen another video from him. So I just like clicked it because I was bored. And... Um, it's not clickbait at all. It's not locations from different people. It's his locations when he circum like when he did his whole trip, his ten favorite spots, and he showed the videos of it, like where he camped, and I thought that was great, like really, really good. Yeah, no, he's amazing. Because if you read if you read a title like that, you expect clickbait, but it wasn't. And then he has the other one, like the big one, where he condenses the whole trip around the world together in one, I think, forty or fifty minute video. And I also watched that one. And now I'm actually starting from like the newest videos going back to the oldest one because it's really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, no, he's good. Then then I guess you are already looking at his bicycling around the world. No, not yet. I'm I'm I well I saw the, the unicycling, the, sorry. The, I saw the unicycle, I saw the um how do you say that? Um I, I saw that one video where he like condensed the whole trip into. Just oh, like okay. an overview, but I have yeah. not seen the, the single episodes that he released because there's a ton of them. I think he said, uh, well, mm, he did, I think, the unicycle around the world when he was 18. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's basically been sitting and releasing footage that he never re released before during the pandemic. Okay. And then he got into, uh, and he was stuck in uh Kazakhstan or something with his girlfriend mm -hmm. yeah he spent half a year there I believe that's yeah, well, a big video yeah well that's where he met her while unicycling around the world and then he moved there and was there during the pandemic and they moved oh. together to the UK and so the tandem thing happened during the height of the pandemic or something shortly mm -hmm. after they moved to the UK together or something okay like that uh but yeah like he's definitely a character and, and you need to be i think to decide to not only bicycle around the world but to unicycle around the yeah world. <laughs> yeah so he's one of like three people who's done the full circuit i think mm -hmm. and he's definitely the, definitely the youngest in the same vein a guy uh walked around japan 
for a few years, was it? Like the full trip around the the or the four main islands of Japan, oh. dragging a bowling ball in a net behind <laughs> him just to see how I was waiting for shrink. the Japanese part. I was waiting for that <laughs> Japanese part. It's like, yeah, just walking is not enough. There's there's a follow-up to that one. Yep. So, so why he, he was doing that? Why? He was he was dragging a bowling ball in a butterfly net, uh, something close to that, just to see oh, yeah, how yeah. the ball would shrink after walking around Japan for a few years. So he did <laughs> he did his story. I don't re- I don't remember exactly, but it took probably three or four years to complete the 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 thing. Wow. Uh, and then they measured the ball, and it was like, yeah, wonderful. Uh, you can probably find some videos on on YouTube about that, and that that, that was just fun. Japan, Japan, yeah. very yeah. Japan. <laughs> so my focus, well, I already mentioned both Will Stelter and uh, Matt Stagmer's video. I'll link mm-hmm. that as well. But my main focus today is Adam Savage making the replica Bowie knife from Glorious Bastards. Yep. Oh, you you nice. peeked on my sheet. Or in the yep. thing. Yep. But that's um, really nice and makes me really want to think that I want to build more of those movie knives. I have not watched it yet. No, uh, it came out today, I think. I, I was distracted and it was an autoplay, so it skipped ahead and I was like, ooh, I need to watch this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's like a bit of antler carving. It's it, it Adam being very Adam-y about trying to get every <laughs> tiny little detail right and not knowing all that much about knife making, but getting nice. nearly everything right anyway. So that's cool. And of course, you're having all fancy tools that helps him. So that's, that's yeah. interesting. Really fun. Yeah. Nice. Any last little bits? Because yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have any Baker Central things to say because this comes out when it's done. I well, have it comes up on of... Sunday morning. And if you are listening to this before going to Maker Central... No, no, uh, we're going to release a Sunday evening. Sunday evening? So, nice. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to make fun about anyone, do it now. <laughs> because you're not going to... You can be nice to Homemaker Central and then go like... Ah. <laughs> no, well, I was just... I, I wanted to say that if you are going to Maker Central, uh, come and say hello. And maybe you yeah. will get a sticker or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. We have uh, some stickers with us. Yeah. Yes. I'll put it gently. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you saw my story that I posted today, Wednesday, uh, you know, I reordered in a lot of stickers and I have a lot of stickers with me. Yeah. And the one more thing I have to say is that I wish Gator from Blackbeard's project a speedy recovery because oh, yeah. um, as we're recording this right now, a couple of hours ago, he posted that he's not going to make it to make a central because he got the COVID. Yeah. That's so sucks. he. Yeah, so I feel sorry for him because yeah. I know he was looking forward to it. We were looking forward yeah. to talking to yeah, him again. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, though, we still got Make a Fair Hanover in September. Nope. Yeah, but I already know that I'm not going to make it to that one. Huh. Really? Sucks to be you. Yep. <laughs> not really. I'm okay. going to be in Munich during that time. <clears throat> You're going to be Fuck what? off. Munich. You and your bloody Oktoberfest. No. no. Okay. That's no? September. No, no, because it's September. But a cheering concert, which is going to be similar. <laughs> anyway, make us some holidays this weekend. Hope to see you there. That's it. Yes. Exactly. Take care, everyone. See you there. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye.